Hi, my name is Brian Singer, and I'm the director of X-Men. I'm the other Brian, Brian Peck. I'm not the director of X-Men. Uh, I've asked Brian if he would help me out here because I'm a little uncomfortable doing these things by myself. Ooh, wait, watch the X. Keep uh, your eye on the X and Fox. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, the idea there was to uh, uh, have the X uh, be on the screen for a few frames longer. That's probably because the movie's called X-Men. That has something to do with it. Okay, just checking. Uh, now, the, Brian, this opening prologue that Patrick does, the voiceover, mm -hmm. was put in... It was sort of late in the game. Uh, it, it just occurred that it, it, for an audience, particularly one that isn't familiar with X-Men, it would be good to have some kind of context to, uh, to set up the universe and also a, a, a poetic context and Patrick's voice setting up the concept of mutation was a great way to do it. Well it sort of condenses how many years of X-Men comics? 30 yeah, years? About, about 38 years of uh, X-Men lore to try to convey to an audience uh, and also you know try to remain truthful to the essence of X-Men but at the same time educate an audience that wasn't familiar with it. Right. Now, this opening sequence, which is, which I think is a great sequence, the concentration camp, uh, it's a really interesting way to start what is an essentially, you know, a comic book movie, which well, is considered, you know, fantasy and sort of like light, and this is obviously a very heavy opening. Well, the idea was to ground it in the, in, in the, give it a sense of history uh, within our own world. Uh, X-Men does not take place in a fantastical universe. It takes place in a world much like our own in the not-so-distant future. So by rooting it in, in uh, our own human history, it helped, uh, it helped set up the universe. It also conveyed a sense of, um, you know, we're not a, an action movie or a comic book movie per se. We're a... Uh, a science fiction movie that happens to be based on this magnificent comic universe. That, that was kind of my thought going into it. No, which it does the, effectively. The, if you notice, the, uh, it's a very uh, monochromatic scene except for the fact that the, the yellow stars have been mm -hmm. goosed up, which, uh, which made that woman's hair, uh, the German woman's hair, uh, also... Uh, yeah, it stood out. It sort of matched the star. It, I, I mean, it sort of sets the tone right off the bat that this is not going to be a totally light, goofy, cartoony comic book movie at all. Well, that, that, that again, that was the notion. I, I, I think fans of the X-Men universe have taken it so seriously that uh, for me not to would be uh, a kind of crime against, against them and also against uh, a very rich tapestry. This is interesting. It's about th involved with 300 extras all uh, over a course of two days, uh, traipsing through the mud, and they were incredibly committed to doing this. One woman actually went into shock uh, from uh, all the, the rain and the cold and all these things, and actually came back to work the second day. Um, a real amazing uh, group of extras. And I remember being in Germany with you guys for the European-German premiere. That's right, in Cologne, yeah. Yeah, and the idea was to, after the movie started, to stay, stick around for about 15, 20 minutes just to hear the movie in German, 
and then when you remembered what the actual first ten minutes of the movie were, you suddenly didn't want to stick around <laughs> I and know, watch I it panicked. with a German audience. <laughs> it was like, uh-oh. Yeah. That's we great. shot this in an old brewery. Uh, in, in Toronto, Toronto, Canada. Yes, which is... Um, it's great. Well, it doesn't. It looks nothing like. Well, you wouldn't think it was shot in Toronto. A little is, history. Uh, I'll just say the the. Uh, I was never a uh, a reader of a comic book uh, or a particular uh, comic fan, but uh, uh, I was looking to do something in science fiction and fantasy, and uh, my co-producer on on Apt Pupil, picture I'd done before, uh, Tom DeSanto, uh, thought that I would really be interested in in this comic universe so he set up a meeting between myself uh, the producer Lauren Schuler Donner and uh, the people at Marvel and Stan Lee ended up showing up in, at the meeting and uh, we all hit it off and there was a really terrific creative synergy and uh, I sort of pondered it for a while and that's 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 uh, that's how it kind of began I know now, had, had I it been like to explain these things in the heads yeah. of the DVD we now, had it been sitting around for? I mean, was had this been proposed as a movie for a? a uh, yeah, they had all, they 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 had gone back and forth with some filmmakers uh, over the a number of years, and had some drafts of screenplays that uh, most of which I've not read. I know Andrew Walker had a draft, and uh, but we we started from scratch, and Tom uh, and I uh, co-wrote a treatment, which eventually was developed with a number of writers. Uh, into now there's two, now there's two the, prologues here. Obviously, the first was Magneto's prologue, and this is Rogue's prologue. In the yeah. original script, there were there was like a Cyclops prologue. Yeah, there a, was a Cyclops and a Storm, and a storm one. But w as we we were developing, we realized that uh, that you know I I kind of felt that it was really Wolverine and Rogue who would be coming to a head at the end of the picture. So why you know why instead of get bogged down with a lot of prologues and wondering why we're seeing so many, we should just focus on those that that would set up the arc of the story. So those prologues were n not filmed even? or Oh, we never filmed them, okay. no, they're scripted. And they're quite good. We, uh, at some point we thought it would be fun to film them for for the future. Now the Senate scene here, mm -hmm. I know that the, when the scene first starts you just see those panels closing behind Jean Grey yeah, originally with, there was with a, a graphic, a, and I know there was a longer... There was a piece of animation that was going to explain the history of mutant kind, but it, with the prologue, with Patrick's prologue, and the fact that, and, and, and the, the Anna Paquin and Ian McKellen prologue, or Young Magneto prologue, you, you get a, you sort of get a, you, you discover the universe on your own as an audience without having to see an animation a la... Mm -hmm. Jurassic Park. In fact, we hired the same guy who did the animation for Jurassic Park, and he did a wonderful job, but ultimately... But dinosaurs in the X-Men movie didn't really make sense. <laughs> Why are we looking at a Tyrannosaurus Rex? No. The unmistakable Patrick Stewart bald head. Yeah, it's, I love revealing actors. It's my favorite uh, in the characters in movies. It's my favorite thing to do, and it was wonderful to be able to start in the back of his head and come around and... Uh, and we also wanted to show in in the Senate kind of uh, different opinions. So some people would be supportive and applauding, some people wouldn't be. And then my favorite thing was to be able to introduce Magneto. Uh, and Louise Mingabach, my costume designer, had this wonderful idea of putting him in the in the long coat and the fedora. And it really is a wonderful introduction. You're, you're trying to get the these characters into their costumes and 
and and it's a process to let, get the audience, uh, particularly an audience that isn't familiar with the comic, comfortable with the evolution from everyday looks to uh, to their to their heightened comic appearances. Well, part of what I love in that sentence scene is that Senator Kelly is obviously an antagonist, but he says things that are good points. You actually, yeah, you, you sure. Kinda, you go, well, that's not a, that's, he's making a good point there. About well, there, yeah, they're, they're, you've got people in society who have extraordinary powers, and the possibilities are are, uh, are very threatening, but at the same time, they're still citizens living in society, and how do you deal with it? It's a common, continual problem. Well, and face even today. Well, and Magneto as well. Obviously, yeah. it's the same thing that makes him such a great villain. Is well, because they you, sort of cut from the same right, cloth right. as Professor X, and and they just have different ways of going about doing what they're doing. Look at the reflections in the, uh, in the uh, in the glass. It's very uh, cool. It's, it's, what was uh, this location? This is Roy Thompson Hall, and that's not that close up of Magneto was shot months later on oh, really? stage. Isn't that amazing? You can't tell. It's What's a translate. Oh, just really? a backdrop. Oh, that's great. And and. Uh, but the, the, I particularly was fond of the, all the, the stacked-up reflections in the glass there oh, yeah. as he as he exits. Uh, what is Roy Thompson Hall? It's a place where they have the uh, con uh, Toronto International Film Festival. I was a little res reticent mm -hmm. to use it, but Tom Siegel, my cinematographer, went upstairs and photographed uh, on our scout, just went up to that second level and photographed some, so, some stand-ins that we brought with us, some people mm -hmm. uh, who, who would stand in for the characters in those compositions, and once I saw those giant X's, I was like, whoa, I've got to use that. This here's, is in... Here's a scene that takes place in Canada that was yes, actually well, was filmed Liberty. in Canada. We have the Liberty. We're setting up the Statue oh, of Liberty, right. so we have little... Now, that truck driver guy, is that the guy... That's the, the guy playing the truck driver who, who you will later see sleeping in the bar at the end of the... Uh, He's walking sequence. away there. He, he is the voice of Beast from the animated series, right. of which I had the pleasure of watching all... 70 episodes. <laughs> now, was, now, was that part of your decision in casting him, or did that come out as a coincidence later? Oh, a mix. Yeah. Yeah. He, he ended up showing up for an audition. I said, oh, we have to cast him. And, uh, actually, I love the animated series. I, I enjoyed thoroughly. I would watch three or four a night, and it was, I was really sad when the tapes ran out. Did it, did it influence you at all in oh, making this movie? Yeah, yeah, sure. Those were the characters. You know, the, the, the animated series were a lot of the characters that had risen through the comic franchise and become part of, the, of a more public lexicon, and I, I, I wanted to take advantage of that. This scene was written and conceived during Christmas break after two-thirds of the movie was already shot. Yeah, this was, this was shot very late in, the, yeah. in principal photography, wasn't it? Yeah, this was a, the, the, we, we had broken for Christmas, and we really didn't have a good opening, and I was in a meeting at Fox, and I remember saying, you know, we need, we need a scene like the, the one in Raiders of the Lost Ark where... Uh, where um, uh, oh, with Marianne? Yeah, where she drinks and that. Drinking uh, the, that, yeah, the that guy Mongolian under the, under the table. Exactly, and, <laughs> and you know, some kind of you know fight club scene, but more uh, structured, and it would be a great way. And then my friend Gary uh, Goddard, who's a good friend of mine, uh, designs theme parks and he's a filmmaker. He 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 said, well, why don't you call him the, you know, why don't you just call him the, in the Incredible Wolverine right there? So that's sort of how this. Well, and what out. also worked to your advantage and Hugh Jackman's advantage was that. Since this was late in the production, he got to really work out. Well, that was it. He, he really kept, got. He, he we, we shot some other scenes where he was shirtless, where he was looking a little, uh, a little on a slightly heavier side. And he and, <laughs> and but we had shot those sequences already, and then he kept working out continuously. So uh, that that's the <laughs> that's beast guy. that's the beast voice. And and uh, and he 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 was able to um, be in shape enough by the time we got around to shooting this scene 
which was introducing his character to right. be able to do it shirtless, which is what he want, really wanted to do. Well, so. it works because you establish his physique like that, and then you just buy yeah, it. Yeah, and you, you buy, buy it to that's the rest his of the physique. Movie. And now he's in for the sequel. He's in phenomenal shape. Well, and explain to people no. part of the reason he wasn't in great shape was because he was cast really late. Yeah, we had another actor who was uh, who was going to play the character, and then a month and a half into shooting, his uh, schedule with another picture went over, and we lost him. So Hugh flew in from Australia and did a screen test, and uh, uh, I offered him the role right there on the spot. This is a wonderful, uh, serendipitous thing because he's a fantastic actor and a fantastic person well I, you can it's so funny to think i mean now looking back on it in retrospect you can't even imagine anyone else playing wolverine yeah and, the, true, and, the, yeah and the fact that he was the one actor who was actually not cast in the role a month and a half into shooting is sort of crazy to think about but yeah well, that's I, our sound guy the one in the back that, who says come on yeah, he's a boom operator. We just, we need to, I just, you know, we do a lot of improvisation and rewriting on set, and you start adding people sometimes and adding things, and sometimes you just don't have the actors on hand, so you find unlikely cameos. There they are, the claws. The claws, yeah, that's a, one of the few shots that were done with um, a prosthetic hand with mm -hmm. a, a claw armature that could be controlled uh, through a hydraulic mechanism so you could control its speed. Were the claws, were they CGI? Oh, uh, they're they... CGI there, but then in some shots they're practical. They're attached to his hands. Sometimes they're metal, sometimes they're plastic. Uh, whenever they're getting really close to slicing somebody, that would be CGI claws. Okay. And so is that. But when it, when it was first, the center claw protruded up to the guy's neck, that was actually um, one of the few times we used a prosthetic hand with the, with the claw armature. This was also shot in the brewery in a separate building. We went back to the same brewery oh, to build this whole set. And so this is the same location where the concentration camp was? Yes. Oh, really? Yes. This was uh, very cold in <laughs> Toronto. That's not fake snow. Uh, that is not a mixture of fake and real. The lay, uh, we're going to get to a spot where, well, you'll see we created all the snow, pretty much. Um, and we went up to Banff to get this, uh, this piece of photography. Now you talked a little bit about how you got involved with the movie, mm -hmm. but it's also very, very different than your previous films. Well, in a way it is, in a way it isn't. The Usual Suspects was an ensemble picture mm -hmm. with a lot of mysterious characters, and, and here uh, we, it's kind of an, it's an, back, for me it's kind of going back to uh, ensemble filmmaking and, and, and the pleasures associated with that where right. everyone's kind of becoming a, a, a family of sorts people work in different intervals so we had problems with the lighting because the sun had come out and it wasn't overcast so now it didn't quite match so there were a lot of timing issues we uh, Tom and Siegel ended up uh, really encouraging the blues so mm -hmm. as to sort of mask the fact that the sun was there for one take and wasn't there for other take. Well, the blue also, it makes it look, really looks cold. Cold, yeah, see there, it was really a bright sunny day. And oh, it, really? It, yeah, and, and 
it just didn't match with everything else, but we had no choice. We had to shoot. Oh, and a crazy person came along that day. Some guy ran, some crazy guy ran our roadblock and freaked out on us. You Hollywood people. And we, you know, it's, it's very dangerous. You've got the, you know, a young girl on the, on the right. road and he just drove through like a nutcase and screaming <laughs> at us. And some, uh, oh. He was in a car? Yeah, some crazy guy in a, in a station wagon. And I thought, and I, and I, our, our, our it was probably a grip from America who was upset at Runaway Production. <laughs> oh, God. Why are you taking all the work to Canada? <laughs> yeah, I would not. Normally, I, you know, I wouldn't be so quick to shoot in another country, but much of the X-Men history and Wolverine's history is steeped in Canada. So if we had to go out of the country to try to save money, Canada was the most uh, responsible destination and it's a it's a it's a pretty great country to shoot in now I know you were saying that in some ways this isn't as different as your previous films because of the nature of the characters and the ensemble mm -hmm. but just as far as scale and size and budget yeah, and studio and all that well it's true there's a lot of those pressures plus a lot of fans waiting for the picture uh, who are quite skeptical so that that poses an issue. Then there's visual effects, but after your 40th, 50th day shooting an X-Men movie, you realize, wow, I've shot 50 days on a big visual effects picture, and now I kind of have an understanding of what can and can't be done. However, big learning curve on the sequel that's going to be uh, quite spectacular, some of the things we're doing. That's that great moment. Yeah, that's our favorite lines. Well, it really, even though they're mutants, it, it just really humanizes the characters. Yeah, and this is sort of, I call this um, our big budget paper moon. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tatum O'Neill and Ryan O'Neill. <laughs> Wandering across the countryside. When suddenly, a tree. <laughs> you notice the window collapses in one shot and then sort of is there again, but you know, you do the best you can when you're smashing uh, campers into trees. The old smashing a camper into a tree sequence. <laughs> the old surprise <laughs> launch. It's great, though, because I love, you know, wearing seatbelts. Now, that, all that snow, yeah. we created all of it. Oh. Everything is artificial. We created I mean, some of it's real snow, but we put it there. That whole layer, there was no snow, all of that. Was it's it? pretty impressive. Uh, considering really? That whole road there? Yeah, everything. And the trees beyond it. It wasn't cold Look enough? Or, <laughs> really? It wasn't, it was, no, it was cold enough. It was plenty right. cold enough. It, it was just, uh, uh, it hadn't snowed in a long time. Uh, now remember. This is again setting up uh, the notions of him being able to heal, but having her witness this so that later she's able to steal his power, thus articulating her power. It's, it's, right. a, it's a real odd and clever game of, of exposition while at the same time trying to keep the story going. It was very uh, difficult, very challenging. Well, and it's interesting because, I mean, you know, every mutant has a different power, so you're dealing with establishing all these different powers yeah. and which one has which. I mean, it's like if you do a vampire movie, 
yeah, all the right. vampires have the same. Yeah, or a superhero like Superman right. or Spider-Man, where, where the character, you know, there's a very specific power. You can really take a while with it and enjoy it and have fun with it. But here, you have to quickly establish all of their powers and the origins of their powers and things. You can see a little of the snow ritters pumping in, or the ritters pumping the snow in. I remember as far as the healing goes, there was some discussion because if he got wounded and bled, the wound would heal, but it wouldn't mean well, the that's blood why, wouldn't disappear. That's why he wipes the blood off right. when he approaches right. the, the camper. This was a nice you know, beat. I mean, we, this was a very difficult I mean, a scene to shoot. We had, we had no money, very few days, so uh, um, we shot a barrel into the trees and then comped him in later. And this was also trying to establish that his beams, when regulated through the visor, had different levels of power. But ultimately, when the visor comes off, it's a lot of uncontrolled power. Yeah. The usual battery of cameras one sets up when you've got only one take on an explosion. That's something you barely can see, but that's the base of the Statue of Liberty torch being painted green by... Yeah, the second Cohen. here, I think you see it a little better, but no, it took me a couple of viewings to figure, yeah. there it is there. That's the bottom of the Statue of Liberty torch that they're going to use at the end. There's and Tyler, with those, he uh, had to wear those contact lenses, and they're really intense on the eyes, and one day he left them in too long, and uh, he went blind for a day and had, oh, I was terrible, and he was in extraordinary pain and had to wear um, uh, bandages around his head, but oh, uh, wow. ultimately it was fine, but it, it, it was very, uh, a real scare for us and for him. How tall is Tyler? Tyler's about, what was he, six foot eight, I think? Six foot nine, six foot ten, six foot ten. And once you got the boots and everything on him, he was over seven feet um, tall? Yeah, with the boots he was seven foot one. That's the seven foot four, seven foot two. Okay. <laughs> this is the Price is Right. <laughs> You've just won the washer and dryer combo. It's also again building the uniform of Magneto. Now we see him in a red shirt. There's the helmet on the desk. Uh, I love this layer because it reminds it, me of an old James Bond villain yeah, layer. It's really cool. And it's also bits of metal and stone and. Meanwhile, yeah. back at the lab. <laughs> this is when he was, when we first started shooting, he was in sort of, starting to get in shape, shall right. we say. It's interesting, you know, the, the little uh, thing on, the, on Magneto's desk, the ball, the actual thing that that's based on, those little right. d desk dressing uh, things with the little balls that go back and forth, the guy who's marketed those and who's made a great living off those is the same guy who directed... Uh, Ian McKellen's Richard III. Oh, you're uh, I think kidding. his name is uh, Longcrane. Was it Richard Longcrane? Richard Longcrane, yeah. That's, he's made a fortune he came apparently up with the, with doing those? the. Um, I don't know what those the, are called. Making those. What do you call those? I, the, the little balls. Knocker uh, desk the, balls. This set's quite interesting, too. If you'll notice, the walls are not connected to the floor because of the lighting scheme. Right. And barely at all. And the, the, the ceiling is barely connected to the walls so this entire set had to be constructed and held up by a huge lattice work oh right the outside of the set looks like a big roller coaster or cage, yeah, exactly, cage yeah. holding up all the and now walls. for the sequel we've had to rebuild this but we've built it in a much more efficient way using giant uh, wood braces as opposed to this huge metal thing and we, then we had to sort of get wolverine in a sweatshirt 
<laughs> so the set was rebuilt. You don't save one set from No, one we of... didn't save anything. Yeah, I don't know why. And, and this was fun with the voices and, and again, establishing Xavier's omnipresence. Power. Yeah, if you have a really good sound system at home, you're, this is great sound. Mm -hmm. Patrick's voice coming from all the different speakers. And this was uh, shot in Casa Loma, a big famous house in Toronto, mansion, Toronto. We, we've duplicated it in uh, place for the sequel by building some things and also shooting in a, a university in Victoria. Was this originally someone's home? Uh, it was originally, yeah, a, a, one of the wealthiest uh, men in Toronto years ago. And what is it now? Is it you? It's a museum, Museum of Canadian History, Toronto's history. You know, kids coming down with the blue hair. You know, how do you show kids a mutant? Oh, his hair is blue. Blue hair. There's a lot of mutants in L.A. then. <laughs> in London. They generally ride skateboards. Now, if you watch closely, you'll notice that the foliage behind Patrick's head sort of disappears and reappears because we had such high winds outside this office set that the... Uh, that we had to remove the foliage because it was blowing around too much. It looked oh. like a hurricane. Um, now this is sort of cool for the X-Men fans well, because you get little up, glimpses of some of the mutants. Sure, it also sets up the universe, uh, you know, physics, he says. Right. <laughs> so it's a, uh, it, 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 it looks like he's teaching them how to build a nuclear bomb or something in the background. <laughs> Well, establishing that it's a well, school, Also, too. the set design, uh, John Meyer had uh, a concept where, where it was a mixture of old and new. There would be some modern... Uh, it, was, it would be kind of like, what if a mansion was converted into a, a modern school for kids? So there would be so the, the, the modern desk chairs, the old mansion. This was difficult also to establishing you know, names like Cyclops and Storm and sort of these comic book names, but, but trying to help an audience that isn't you know familiar with the comic appreciate it so by putting it in Wolverine's you know from his perspective oh yeah the fact that he the like fact he, that he finds it silly he's, yeah like where he says I've been following his activities for some time the man who attacked you is an associate of his called Sabretooth Sabretooth Storm what do they call you Wheels. <laughs> now that line was one Hugh wrote on the spot. Oh, wheels! He, he just said it, yeah. it, yeah, and we all laughed, and and it's in the, you know, it's my <laughs> another favorite moment because it really conveyed that idea that I think these names are silly, but by the end he's going to grow to understand the identities. Oh yeah, well it really yeah. helps. Yeah, it helps the audience take it seriously too. If Wolverine's yeah, character slow, finds yeah. it, by the of end of the picture he joins this odd group, and 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 we understand why they have these other names, you know, why they, you know, their identities, they have to, uh, you know, sort of shed the past and embrace them, the, their lives as mutants and uh, as opposed to, you know, live in fear. You know, they can, you know, it's, a, it's a kind of universal concept. This was something we shot in the last 30 minutes before it was dark with these triplets and I cannot believe it worked at all. Oh, that really is triplets? Yeah, those are 
Was it triplets? Yeah, they really, yeah, they just ran around the basketball court and then we just phased them oh, out. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, I, was, yeah, but, I thought that was like a really complicated No, no, no. Here. We just oh, painted no. them out. I was amazed that that actually is in the picture. Um, we now had a kid sketching, by the way. We had an early version of Colossus sketching in that scene where the kid runs across the water. If you, you freeze it right in the beginning of the scene, you'll see a big kid sketching, and that was sort of uh, trying to put in. There's a character, um, Jubilee, or could be Jubilee. Right. And introducing a pyro character uh, and, a, and uh, Sean Ashmore, who ended up, uh, I ended up actually using him in the sequel quite uh, in quite an expanded role. Yeah, and Sean was a local actor from Toronto, yep, right? Yeah, local actor from Toronto. There's Hallie with that crazy hair. <laughs> there was, <laughs> yes. Now, her hair caused some controversy. I know, it? I know. Everyone has an opinion about it. Well, I think it's a lot better in the sequel. We finally, I think we've figured it out it's hard you know you put uh, kind of hair on anyone it's going to look a little uh... now this whole sequence this whole montage that sort of sets up the whole Xavier school mm -hmm. it's comprised of and notice the, 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 the everyone's got the uh, handicap license plates it's got the wheelchair and the Statue of Liberty which is and great. the Statue of Liberty yeah. yes absolutely but all of these shots it's made up of I know it was intended as a montage, but then there's also portions that were taken from scenes. portions that were going to be a longer scene, but it just made more sense to track it over, uh, over uh, here. See, that's why he suddenly jumps position, and now he's in here because it was part of a slightly longer, but ultimately too, uh, too slow uh, sequence. But, but it, it, it was sufficient enough to set up the, the universe, and also, you know, he became Magneto. Try again, trying to aim, get the audience comfortable with these names that they may otherwise be unfamiliar with, that they're not fans. And also then to cut to something, again, the old, the classic, Stables. I always wanted to go back into Xavier's history of where all the money came from. Yeah, that's actually a good question. Where did, where did he get all this money well, to do uh, this? It's a long <laughs> conversation. That's how he ended up in a wheelchair. That's a funny story. Patrick asked me, how did you end up, how did I end up in a wheelchair? I was like, well... And I told him the comic history. And he said, hmm, it was a little complicated. <laughs> and this, was, uh, this was actually a much cooler shot leading into this, and I uh, should have left it in it, where it's, he's going past all these military aircraft that are in this museum, uh, where, which is where we shot. You can see some of them in the background there. Mm -hmm. Senator Kelly. Bruce Davison was in... Was an apt pupil. Was an apt pupil he he played well. Brad Renfro's father, and this was... Uh, Kind of, he, I, he, I kind of saw that as a favor he did for me, and this was sort of my way of paying him, no, paying him back, but like returning the favor. Right. And he, he was very pleased. He was a very, uh, he, was, he said to me, he says, you know, people in Hollywood, you know, they always say they're going to do something with you, and you do, you know, and never, and, and, and uh, I don't know, I try to, you know, if it works, do it. Well, Ian McKellen and Bruce both. Yeah, yeah. From at people. Sure, and, yeah. And the, now, do you, do you like working with actors Oh, whenever, over again, or oh, whenever possible. You have a great show. I find on the sequel to X Men, I've got an incredible shorthand with all the actors, particularly Hugh. Uh, we, we we can. It's, it's like talking to my cinematographer. He can almost read my mind. This is an interesting scene. The first few takes we did, she had yellow contact lenses on, but she kept getting near, almost kicking him in the face in this uh, coming sequence. So she asked, "Could we just CGI her eyes in, even though we couldn't really afford it? It wasn't the budget. Could we just do it for this take?" And and uh, I, I said, fine. So, she, you know, she didn't risk hit, kicking him in the face. And if you watch it, we did it, you know, she, she could see clear, because she couldn't see very well with the contacts in. 
So we took them out and watched this. You know, people like you are the reason I was afraid to go to school as a child. Bang! She really kicked his face and knocked his glasses off, and he had a big blue blue mark. And that was without I, the contacts? Without yet? the contacts. <laughs> now I can see clearly. Wham! <laughs> and I, 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 I swear, if she wasn't a supermodel, he would have been really pissed. But there's a certain... A naked of, supermodel. Uh, yeah, forgiveness when uh, this gets a little Austin Powers here with the <laughs> island. <laughs> I love that. Now, was that island really there? This was a. Um, was the island really there? No, the island a, would be added shot. later. This is starting a little flirtation between these two characters, which comes uh, into play a great deal more in the. Fomka Jensen as Jean. Fomka Jensen as Jean. Yes, if you'll notice, almost every cast member is from another country. It's I very mean, international. She's Dutch, yeah. yeah. And they're all, and it's such a task for a dialect coach because they're all speaking not in their, in their normal accents. Tim Monick was your dialogue coach yeah, on this. Dialect, dialect coach. coach. Yeah. And I know people asked, well, why was there a dialect coach? And I was like, well, you don't understand. <laughs> he was teaching them how to speak with American accents because, for the most part, yeah, there we have, you know, uh, Famke had, uh, you know, her, although she speaks pretty much perfect English, she's Dutch. Uh, Patrick is speaking sort of a m mid Atlantic accent. Right. Ian is trying to, uh, you know, is doing the same. And then, of course, Hugh Jackman has a very thick Australian accent. And Anna's from New Zealand. And Anna's from New Zealand doing a southern accent. Right. And then Hallie, who is American, was doing a slight S South African. Slight South African, although in the right. sequel I, I had her, uh, she, she's really. Uh, more using her regular voice. This was fun because we get to show a little inside uh, inside of Wolverine, you know, the metal skeleton, adamantium. I think James Marsden was one of the only people who didn't have to work with the uh, dialect coach. No. <laughs> but he had to work, you know, he had to sell it all with his, one of the reasons I cast him was because he had a great inflection with his, uh, with the visor on. You could... <laughs> he didn't really eat a pigeon, right? Or a dove? Uh, he put a bunch of feathers in his mouth and crunched them, and that was about it. This is a line we were, we were trying to establish characters, um, so we, would add, we added it later, uh, where he said, which I, I was kind of happy with, where uh, a toad has a wicked tongue, Senator, just like you. Now look at this. Because, you know, otherwise the characters have no name. They're just the creepy, <laughs> eerie, odd henchmen of, uh, of the The guy with the tongue who was in uh, Star Wars Phantom Menace. Mm. Now listen, the, the breath. The, it, now this is obviously The breath is all real. real. You, um, uh, it was below freezing out Ugh. here. We flooded a park outside of Toronto and... And built these sets and these uh, some of these stone walls. Some of them were added later in the background uh, with visual effects. But it, all of this uh, is real. It was incredibly cold. And Rebecca, and Rebecca's naked. Yes, was out there ostensibly naked. naked. It was unbelievable. I, I, I'm amazed she didn't freeze. And this was all on hydraulics, so it could lift. It all had to be built out there. It was quite something to see it. And then one night we were shooting, and we couldn't get one shot off because the winds were so high. There was a terrible windstorm. It was incredible. And nobody could, you almost couldn't get out of your trailer 
because you'd get blown around by the wind and we all brave we all were just stuck in the trailer for hours so we all went over to Patrick Stewart's trailer and knocked on his in the wind and we opened it up and there was this classical music playing and it was warm <laughs> and he was reading and he was like is anyone still here I thought everyone had gone home was he, he was in a wingback chair sipping cognac <laughs> then some of these things we add later some of them are on the set but it was quite a quite a build uh, I'm very, if you'll notice, there are a lot of circles. Uh, I have this obsession with, with uh, circles, uh, semicircles, tunnels, tubes, hallways. I, I find them fascinating and, and uh, you know, like, uh, portals. And, and so there's all kinds of spheres and circles and, and a lot of my movies I've noticed uh, in looking back. Tim Burton has spirals. Spirals, you're right. And yes, you have does. circles. And I have circles. That must mean something. Uh... If you go to therapy, that probably will that'll mean yeah, something somewhere. Yeah, Tim Burton and I should <laughs> go to therapy together. <laughs> Some of those mountains are added later. And again, Wolverine's bedroom here is sort of this mix of old and new. Like, see, the wall behind has been, it's kind of like it, these were larger bedrooms that have been cordoned off into, into dormitories for students. So it's, it, it's kind of the fun of putting uh, Wolverine into a, into a college student environment. All, you know, all of a sudden this rough loner from the, from the backwoods of Canada is now in a dorm with other, you know, with students. And we do a little, a little more of that in, in the sequel. It's kind of fun. He, he ends up uh, uh, getting stuck with some kids. Yeah, he's thrown in the dorm environment. John Meyer was your production designer? On this John Meyer is the production designer and then uh, Guy Dias is my designer on on the sequel, and 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 was very uh, 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 respectful of John's designs, but then took it uh, forward. When are we going to see the first bits of? Yeah, it, the uh, the Weapon X history. You know, we have the, the, the all the drawings where it's implied that's where you would inject the injection points for the adamantium and. Uh, Things like that, also setting up this love triangle here, jealousy. Now, James Marsden is a bit shorter than all these other actors. <laughs> and Hugh Jackman's supposed to be a shorter character, the Wolverine. He's actually six foot three, and Fomka's also very tall. So everywhere we went, James had to uh, either wear high shoes or walk on tracks. Now and the he tracks were now, everywhere, and it was, and, and he'd always, and the other actors would be always tripping over them. He told me that if you brought up his height in this DVD commentary, I had to tell everyone that he was five foot ten and a half. He's not really no, that is, short yes, in he, real he life. Is true. He is it's five just foot that ten all the rest of the cast was freakishly tall. It, it's true. It is actually <laughs> true. He is yes. He is not a short person. He said. I talked to him when he was doing the movie. He says I've never had a complex about my height in my life. But now on oh. this movie, I'm walking on apple boxes. I have lifts in my shoes, oh, I know. and I feel like I'm, you know, a little person. It's just that every, you know, Fomka's like six feet tall in her bare yeah. feet, and she's playing his love interest. And if he stood next to her, he needed a. Uh, and box. now in the sequel, Sean Ashmore has gotten so tall, who plays Iceman, and it's another issue. But but yeah, no, Jimmy's grown a little too. Uh, this is the this uh, dream sequence again. We, uh, different facets to it. I, I thought there's something about that. I, I wanted to add sort of an odd, twisted, festive nature in the event. For instance, they're passing around the bottles of champagne, yeah. celebrating uh, what's happening to Wolverine. But there's a complex aspect to his past, which we explore in the sequel. 
um, which helps one understand this, uh, what's happening better, particularly that character behind that mask. And this was a exciting reveal uh, to be able to... Ouch. <laughs> That's great. That's a great shot. To drive. But, but, but again, it's all part of a, an ex, a expository process. She, you assume, is stab I mean, stabbed fatally, but then we see that she, because she had seen him heal earlier in the picture, she's able to take his powers, thus articulating Rogue's power, which plays a very important role in the climax of the film. And then uh, these kids were great. We, we reused a lot of the same extras, so it kept a... Uh, oh, you have some of the same kids family. back. Yeah. Oh, not not in this picture. No, not right. really. But um, but but throughout X Men One, we made sure there was some consistency in different them. kids you saw in different scenes, and uh, and now everyone's afraid to touch her. But you know, that that relationship continues. There's also a scene. I don't know if it'll be on this DVD where uh, where you um, you, you uh, he's he brings her to her room. Uh, uh, Bobby Drake brings her to her bedroom. It's a nice, almost romantic moment where he's afraid to. It was a, delete, she, she, a deleted. It's scene. a deleted. Yeah, yeah, it was a nice moment, but it didn't. It, the, 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 this uh, this scene was shot at seven in the morning, right before Patrick had to get on a plane, and he was so tired, and it was so exhausting. And there's a really funny outtake where he he backs away. Uh, and goes to the door, and his wheelchair just hits this door, <laughs> and then he just backs up and keeps on going. I don't know if you can dig it out and put it on this thing, but it'd be funny to see. And that's the moon hanging behind. It's it's kind of weird. We we this was actually a longer scene, so that uh, it, the the relationship in this cell gets a little. Just, uh, it's, it. it's more of your sphere, it's more of your circle. Yeah, circles, smaller circles, larger circles. I love circles. his face in this. His, he makes the, his face get so goofy when he shoves it between the bars. Yeah, his eyes span out. Well, he's becoming kind of like a aquatic. He, he sort of is mutating into a number of things. It's kind of like he's no specific mutation. It just, it's accelerated mutation. And Magneto thinks that it's going to... That's such a cool effect. Yeah, it's, it's the effortless way in which he manipulates metal. I also like the fact that that's somehow more convenient than actually just building a bridge. Well, no, because he wants to pull back the bridge in right. case somebody were to slip through the bars. And then, uh... That has sort of a Hitchcocky look to it. That's that. so funny you should say that. Also, with uh, it was funny. Because in the um, Statue of Liberty sequence, while we were shooting, uh, while we were shooting uh, uh, the Statue of Liberty sequence, I was interviewed for a documentary that Kevin Spacey narrated about Hitchcock, and I the part they used of me was talking about the uh, the incident in Saboteur. Saboteur, right? With uh, Norman Lloyd falling from the Statue of Liberty, and the little splash we had. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is a long fall. And then this is, oops. <laughs> I love Sabretooth because he's so big and menacing, but there's also something a little bit dumb about Sabretooth. Yeah. Tyler's a Tyler Mayne is a terrific guy. Tyler was also the first actor cast on this movie. Now he came in. Did he come in? He just came in for a meeting. He came in wearing the teeth too, oh, or really? not his these teeth, but a set of teeth. 
and uh, and he was the first actor cast because where else were we going to find a guy with his build who was six foot ten? And we just we, we we needed to get that character, so we set up the notion of jellyfishes. Now this was this was, this shot, was shot later in Malibu because we didn't have Malibu. beaches that were this warm was enough not in Canada. Toronto. So we and, were just, and less than two months before well, the movie opened in theaters. Now you're going to see something very exciting here. We're yes. going to see two cameos. One mm -hmm. is Stan Lee selling hot dogs, and the guy eating hot dogs is you. The fat my, guy in the Hawaiian shirt eating hot dogs. Hey, that's me. And my buddy Gary Goddard was the guy walking alongside in the flannel shirt. I made him shave his beard. Have to go back and. Thank you for. I'm on screen so long. Thank you. You are. It's. It's. In fact, you are so imposing in the screen. People don't even see Stan Lee. I've been accused of upstaging Stan Lee, and I promise I was merely standing there with a hot dog in my hand. I know. Yeah. Well. <laughs> if I upstage, you know, I can't. I help think you're it. upstaging me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it again right now. Now I love that in this scene. If you look closely, there's a moment where you see breath, cold breath coming out of Sean's mouth. And I read on the internet people talking about what a great little inside thing that was since he's Iceman. You know people what? People put on the internet that it was great. That I've you never see his noticed breath. it. And, uh, oh, you're right. There it is. Yeah. Now, I've, see right I, there. You know, it's, yeah, and, yeah. Well, it was cold. It was just a cold day in Toronto. <laughs> but you should take credit for it that you were you're brilliant that you thought of such a subtle yeah, detail. Yeah, well, I'm glad I uh, thought of making it so cold in Toronto. Oh, you're there right. Is, yeah. There it is again. And you don't see it coming. And you don't see it coming out of Anna's mouth. That's because when we shot her coverage, it probably warmed up. It's interesting, but it's great because he's. But I, man, I, it's odd that because it's one of the few. Usually, I'm pretty. Uh, having watched it in, uh, in the editing four billion times, I, I, I'm surprised I haven't noticed that. But it's. Uh, but know. if you want to follow that logic, he's actually Mystique, so he really wouldn't be Iceman. So I don't know. Oh, so it gets it's very really not such a good idea. Yet, no. Yeah, I won't take credit for. Go it. back to Cold Day in Toronto. Um, I, um, you mentioned it earlier, but James Marsden, he's talked a lot about how difficult it was to act with no eyes because you convey so much it is, through your it eyes. It is, it is. And again, one of the reasons I cast him was because he had a, he could convey these things with his jaw and he had his, his expressions. He, Jimmy's actually one of the funniest <laughs> actors, people I've, I've ever known. He's brilliant, and he's also one of the best impressionists right there. I mean, right there with Kevin Pollack and Kevin Spacey of actors that I've worked with who are tremendous uh, uh, impressionists. Jimmy is, is that good. It's, it's a shame we he's so straight don't get in to this use movie. it in these He's so stoic movies. and so straight-laced in this movie. Well, a lot movie. of it he does with his eyes. So he, he, and in he, reality, he's such a complete goofy... Humorist. Yeah. So this set, we build... Uh, we built, um, the walls of this set, we, we build like a portion of the wall and then we can always slide it around so we're not always into visual effects every time we want to do inserts or close-ups or shots like these of the actors. Or oh, so it's not a full globe no, inside? No, we don't build the full circle. We build uh, like uh, there are two walls on either side of the entrance and they can be moved to create one wall in front of him or, or, or the two walls can be coupled beside him. And uh, we learned a quicker way of doing it in, uh, for X-Men 2 where we, we built them on runners so we can move them around. Uh, I could physically move them around myself. When we did sort of hanging like a curtain. On yeah, exactly. Rod, yeah. Well, we have larger sets here in Vancouver, but but uh, there it, it was a half day to turn them around, and then this is and now we're into visual effects. This is something uh, really Mike Fink, my visual effects supervisor, created, which I, I really ended up liking a lot with all the people 
Yeah, did you have how many different? You must have had a lot of different concepts of how visually. Uh, well, we how did. I, I wanted the I wanted the sphere to grow, and I knew I wanted the sphere to grow, and I wanted to get a sense of all different people and thing and things like that, and find her in the midst of it. And this was and and we shot all these elements, and I wanted it to m merge into the train station. So, uh, by, but my favorite thing he did was having them slam down like that. I really liked that. But we're doing something really cool for the sequel. It'll be quite spectacular. This is uh, basically you can see again the wall of Cerebro. This is shot on two different stages because uh, the hallway couldn't be attached to Cerebro because Cerebro is two stories high. So we're actually cutting back and forth on two completely different sets. This is a garage at Casa Loma that we kind of modified into uh, X Garage, and I like cars, so it was fun to be able to uh, put different cars in the garage. There's a little... Cyclops' motorcycle. Cyclops, yeah, Cyclops' car, Cyclops' motorcycles. Cyclops seems to be the auto enthusiast. and He just never gets to drive any of his vehicles in the <laughs> movies. In Wolverine, we set up, he had a motorcycle in the, in the trailer on his, on his camper, so we were able to pay that off a little. And this we actually shot in a train yard. Uh, on these train cars, was it, abandoned it, it, was, it was actually a train repair pl uh, facility. So the 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 platforms had to be built up so people could walk by, like in a normal train station. In actuality, there were no platforms because it was where they repaired trains. This scene was a little bit longer, as I remember. Um, he talks a little bit more about his past, and there was a great line that I don't even know if we shot. I don't even recall where he he says uh, he says. Um, uh, he talks about how tormented he was, and he says, uh, I, I, I would show you the scars from all the times I tried to kill myself, but they faded away. This is interesting uh, that there's two Sean Ashmores here. Sean Ashmore, who plays Iceman, actually has an identical twin brother, but that's not how we did that. We did that with motion control. Did you think about using his twin brother? Uh, I didn't even know he had a twin brother oh. at the time. You could have saved some money. I know, always, always Who knew? money. Um, Welcome, Professor. I like this, it's weird to see Sean Ashmore with this woman's body for a moment. <laughs> this is the, the gizmo inside of Cerebro. This was a, there was this little squishy thing with this stuff uh, that was sold at a gift shop that you could play around and we kind of took the solution from that and used it a, in this uh, device and then inked it up. Again, this is, uh, this is, it's a great scene and it's great actors doing a great emotional scene, which is, I, I, it's just why I continue to think that, you know, for a comic book film or a genre film, it just has such deeper layers than these kind of movies often well, have. We're starting to we're starting to set them up here. I think uh, if we if it was if I hadn't if I didn't have certain issues with intercutting and pacing, I could have. I well, I was uh, pleased with the the actors. It, it was a nice. It, it, I remember in the trailer, you know, not many people understand people like us. It played kind of nice. It was a. It was like again two people who are so different and yet have this bond or this similar aspect of their lives. And you have Academy Award winners as superheroes. Yes, Anna Paquin is Academy Award winner. Now we have Halle Berry. 
And Anna's wonderful. She can cry like that. <laughs> now, what do you think? Do you think actors, I mean, referring to an actor as an Academy Award winner playing a superhero, do you think that an actor feels that doing a genre type of movie is somehow lesser than? Or uh, do you I think, think sometimes. Uh, Terrence Stamp told me a funny story about the making of Superman where Brando hadn't read the script when he came because he thought it was going to be shit and he was afraid he wouldn't want to do it after he read it and Terrence said no it's actually quite good <laughs> uh, you should really read it it's going to be a really good movie and it turned out to be one of I think one of the coolest things you know Brando's done in, in, in his more contemporary career and this is that That's thing a I great want to do with these kids and uh, just again to articulate differences it's my friend Adam in the background who was getting involved in stunts, so we put him on a ratchet at 80 miles an hour. He wanted, he did it twice. We did two takes. He was ready to go for a third, but. And then he, uh, Tyler accidentally slammed Hallie against the for real. Not in that shot. That was, right. uh, but uh, accidentally he thought he gave her a concussion. The reality of this would probably be very horrifying of <laughs> roof and debris falling on all those people, but we kind of avoid the carnage. This is a fun moment. We, we, we basically didn't know a way to make uh, uh, Tyler's hair stand on end, so we attached him to a 5 million volt Van de Graaff generator. So oh, his to hair would the stand up on end. But since he, he had his ha hand wrapped around Hallie, uh, Hallie's neck, then her hair would stand on end, and then we had to keep doing these resets. I thought maybe uh, we just rubbed a balloon on his hair. No, and no, no. And I had to prove way. to the actors it was safe by putting my hand on the generator myself, but I don't, my hair is real short, so it didn't really make much difference. And this is a real train that we uh, scored and tore apart. And uh, the fire and the spark effect caused an insulation to burn, and molten uh, insulation kind of was coming down, so my stunt guy, Gary Jensen, who's incredibly, uh, actually, I, I feel very safe with him, and he, he, he actually, <laughs> as is always the case, Gary ends up getting hurt, bearing the brunt for everyone else, and he burned the back of his neck, but uh, um, he's, he's been quite extraordinary about uh, protecting actors and protecting people and making me feel safe uh, in when now, stunts and pyrotechnics are involved. This is another scene in the movie where you, it, it has a lot of physical effects, where the effects are done actually on set. Well, we do as many as possible. Whenever you can do them on the set with the real actors, I say do them. And here, you know, we just attached strings to the real claws and pulled them back and lifted them in the air, a little rig removal. and. Uh, but I personally, I love that because I just think things have gotten so CGI and so computer generated nowadays that they've forgotten that there were ways to do these effects, you know, 10 years ago. Well, if, if it works, you know, if it looks good, I mean, in, 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 you, you do them, and in, in this case, you know, it, it makes sense. Uh, and, and it's nice to kind of mix visual effects with, with practical things. For instance, here with these police cars, we actually took a crane and burned its motor out lifting these two police cars uh, after we pulled out the engines and made them lighter. You'll see here. And they you know, swing a bit. It's not as, you know, ferocious, but they are real, and somehow 
But I you, for, you, you believe it more, and I just think you can tell they're real. It, when something is physically there, I don't know. You can sense it somehow, and when it's CGI, it somehow doesn't yeah, feel well, like we, it was there. We did with the guns. There are some CG guns, and then there's some real guns, and and then there's some guns uh, being puppeted, for instance. And uh, so with rig removal, like here, and then there's some guns that have been added later, and we try to mix them up so that you feel that they're. There, you know, you don't know where you try to, so you don't know where CG ends and the physical thing begins. Now, on this location, if I remember, weren't you hassled by a, a cop? Uh, yeah, there was, I, I, went, I decided to wander off uh, and hang out where a lot of onlookers. We had a lot of spectators watching us shoot. This was in Hamilton, and and uh, I and a cop just said, "You got to step off, you know, step away from the set up on the sidewalk." And I'm like, "Well, I think I'm okay here." And he said, "No." And he was really, uh, you know, they're shooting a movie here, just step back. And I was like, okay. I think you said, I, I'm with the production. I, I tried to explain, but I, you know, I'm not too, you know, I, I don't say, oh. Uh, well, for know, anyone I, I who doesn't know. police officer's what, bad side. If there's anyone listening who doesn't know what you look like, Brian Singer looks like about a 24-year-old kid. <laughs> if anyone wandered on the set, they would think well, maybe it was you were like a PA. Because Tom, um, Tom uh, I, I have a car that uh, takes me to the set every day, morning, and I, I lent the car to, uh, to Tom Sano one day so he could bring a bunch of stuff to the set, and I, and, uh, and a PA didn't know what I looked like, stopped me and said, can I help you? And my first thought was, well, you know, coffee, omelet, maybe. No, I'm fine, I'm fine. Just show me around. He's like, and he's like, no, I meant, you know, he's trying to stop me. And, and uh, <laughs> so I'm trying to think of things here. Unfortunately, we didn't get to show it off. Uh, he's in a role, uh, Xavier shows up in a Rolls Royce, and a, a gentleman ended up purchasing the Rolls Royce for over a, like a quarter of a million dollars because it was Xavier's from the movie. Oh, really? But you don't really see it that much. Oh, a million dollars. Huh? It's a roll. A Bentley, a Bentley. I'm sorry, it's a Bentley. That's right, I forgot. And, uh. Now, this was on location. This was very scary, yeah. We, the actors, really wanted to. See, those are the spectators. All those people in the background are, are all the people who are watching us shoot. And we just figured, you know, they would be gathered around watching if some event like this was taking place. So. Why not leave them there? But we had to land that helicopter in a very narrow place, and I, t I, I tell you that tail, tail rotor was within four feet of that suburban, and I was not. I was very. Um, I'm always nervous about uh, s safety and things like that. I remember some of the actors saying that the uh, hotel accommodations in Hamilton were not quite as luxurious as the accommodations in Toronto. They were at a. Yeah, I guess uh, so. At a, you at know. a Holiday Inn or something. I remember. Hey, I looked uh, at the YMCA for a year and a half going to college, so I can. I can sleep Why anywhere, but... I, I know that uh, Jimmy Morrison and Halle Berry asked if they could stay in their trailer overnight because it was <laughs> actually right. it was actually bigger than the hotel room they were in. That's right, and but probably they were, had more amenities. Well, they, yeah, they, they were told kitchen that in your trailer. for some legal reasons they were not allowed to no, have a sleepover not. in their trailers. I actually spent the night in my trailer when we did the uh, forest clearing scene, and I was... Uh, and I was um, I was driven home in the sleeping in the bed of the trailer. They collapsed <laughs> it and drove back to Toronto with me in the bed. Now Hugh's hair here. This is early. It's, uh, still, it's yeah. a little different. It, you know, it's a it's it's different in many places. But this is th this was one where I there was that curl and but you know there was that night, this was a had a long night. Lots of takes, little rewrites on the spot kind of thing. This is a 
a moment that I like when the, the, the two, when the face of Charles Xavier sort of revealed to this government person, the senator, and, uh, and Bruce is real terrific. I was afraid if I went to hospital, they would treat you. I like Bruce and Willard. I have not yet seen Willard. Oh. And we're going to do a we're going to do a Willard night. You so have to see Willard. I'm very I'm excited about it. But we have to do a night. We have to get together. I think Bruce was all of 19 it. years old when he did Willard. Really? Yes, oh. he was very young. For people who don't know Willard, it's he um, is a strange teenage guy who has a lot of rats. Rats, yes. Killer rats. <laughs> they kill Ernest Borgnine and things. This is um, this is very simple. We just. Uh, you have a thing coming out of the water, but uh, uh, here we just drop the lights out behind Patrick, and you know, again, trying to do use practical methods of of uh, of showing a jump into the mind. And here he can stand up and slip out of the chair, and then again, just placing Kelly, Senator Kelly, in the the chair, you know, not not trying to get too visual effectsy in, in in a flashback. We, you know, with usual suspects, we were able to play a lot of games. It, it's very similar to that with with seeing alternative versions of things well, and using I, alternative takes that were never that that were never that were shot but not intended to be in the in the. Well, that's what I was even referring to with the physical effects. It's just I think there are a lot of simple, old-fashioned, cinematic ways of conveying things that are more effective than spending a whole lot of money on a bunch of crazy visual effects. Well, especially when you don't have a whole lot of money. And <laughs> we did not have a whole lot of money. Well, that's an interesting, that's actually an interesting topic because this is obviously a big studio movie and it had a large yeah, budget, but, by, but by, for this type of movie. For this type of movie, we were we had a very lean budget and a very tight schedule. Uh, we were one of the le least, less expensive films of the big films of that summer. Oh, that summer. the if other not the least expensive. Well, the other big films that summer were Mission Impossible Mission 2, Impossible 2 Perfect, Perfect Storm, Storm, Patriot. Uh, the Patriot, all films. You know, all of much, which had more double the budget or more than this. And then, uh, as he progressively got worse, we eventually did a motion control shot with a number of layers and trying to be a little gross, but uh, still trying to keep us in that PG-13. It's a great effect, though, when he yeah, Well, it's, it's all about water. I, I like the fact he's starting to just, he's starting to, uh, you know, it's something really creepy about, because we our bodies are like 98% right, water, so right. there's something creepy about all that water kind of flowing out of us. I like that Hallie's jewelry actually is an X. He is very, uh, she's very uh, kind of hippie. It's <laughs> a cross between Eastern and hippie. Is he wearing contacts? His yes, eyes he has contact lenses and a rather lengthy makeup job for all that yeah, vascular. Is... Now the face starts to come apart and it just becomes water. And then that became a real effect. We is just that dumped the really water. Is... Yeah, we went from a CGI to a real effect of dumping water. 
And if you look at her closely, I think you can see her microphone. You, you can, can as she yeah. runs away. The, She's wired for sound. and The and transmitter that. pack you were on the back. Now those, the glasses that Cyclops wears were designed by Oakley? Well, they're the Oakley Juliets. They're standard that we put red lenses on. Then Oakley designed our visor for us and did a really cool job. And then we've uh, revamped it for the sequel a bit, made it a little sleeker. It was a good side benefit for Jimmy because he got lots and lots of free sunglasses. <laughs> I'm, as a friend of his, I have a couple pair, and everybody, his entire family and everyone he knows Wears Oakley sunglasses. I know. He wore Oakleys to a, to an event once, and I saw him there on the press line. And I said, "What are you wearing those for?" I don't know. And I'm like, and I said, I, I, I poked fun at him. I said, "It would be like if Spock showed up, or if Leonard Nimoy showed up in one of these and <laughs> wearing the ears." ears. <laughs> this was uh, also an image that was very important to me. This kind of fetal uh, Xavier falling from the wheelchair. I very much, you know, some of the, there's a lot of images that come up uh, when you're shooting, but then there's some that you see from the very beginning that you really want to see in the picture, and that was one. And then this kind of bond between uh, uh, Jimmy and, and Patrick, and between uh, uh, Cyclops and Xavier that was also important. You know, these are all things that are much more in, in, explored in the, uh, in the comic book, but we, you know, we just tried to touch upon as many of them as possible, and I think they... they uh, it gives a little more... Uh, well, it gives it resonance. I mean, there's more nice moments and connection between the characters. This now, was hard for Patrick because he always had to keep completely, uh, for long takes, very long takes. I didn't fully exploit because uh, I, I just cut them a bit tighter, but... Um, for long takes, he would keep his eyes open and not breathe. It's, it's wonderful with really seasoned actors, trained actors. They've had to do all of this on the stage. So for them, it's uh, very second nature. Now, Patrick and Ian, obviously both very seasoned, stage trained, Royal Shakespeare Company. Are you, as a director, are you ever intimidated working with actors, or do you feel comfortable? Um, you know, I, I'm very intimidated by talented people whose work I admire, and, I'm, and I can even get starstruck. Once I get into work mode, I know what I'm shooting so uh, intimately that I, I kind of I go on autopilot, and then it wouldn't matter who I worked with. I'd, I, I'd you know, hopefully develop you know, what they had to offer. That's Ben Jensen, uh, my uh, stunt coordinator's son. Uh, who is, also does co-coordinating on, the, on the, my films as well as the, the current X-Men movie with Gary. And these are twins. The magic of twins. Oh, see, there you made use of twins. Whoop. <laughs> see? So she, that, and then she just snuck cheap. in there off camera? And that's my father and his wife. The, the backs of their heads at the bottom of frame there is the king and queen of Poland. <laughs> so it's uh, my father and my stepmother. Now... Again, absolutely nothing you see in any of this end sequence was shot. That's at, Tom DeSanto, our executive producer, and my buddy. It's about to get getting squished. squashed oh. by Toad. <laughs> no, absolutely none of this was shot in New York. Uh, no, nothing was shot. Oh, now in New look York. right there in the These boat. Are, that head a, behind. That, yeah. The, 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 what do you mean? Well, there, well, there's a man there in the cab. That's actually you know, driving the, the boat. Yes, there is. I, yeah, I, it goes by hopefully quick enough. But yeah, you, well, you know, the, 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 
uh, the woman Chantal was doubling for Mystique. She, uh, I don't know if she was totally that equipped to drive, or that skilled to drive that boat. Well, I think you just assume it's one of those guys that she knocked out on the floor or something. But. Mm -hmm. Hope so. This is a nice bit. There was a longer speech in the forest clearing that I cut down because this kind of summed up his, his agenda and how it reflected on his past. The standard was kind of appropriate, the Statue of Liberty be there, and, uh, you know, and, and it, it's an odd commentary on uh, you know, different ways of looking at government and imperialism and things like that. Well, and again, you understand where Magneto is coming from. He just his, his way of going about it is a little twisted, but... Yeah, he's, he's very much, you know, Ian told me, he said, I believe I have a daughter, and I'm going to talk to this girl because I, and to explain this to her, you know, and, and say, you know, I have a daughter too, you know, and if, if you were her, I would still have no choice, you know, and that was his sort of way of getting into it, and, and you know, he drew a, you know, he's a, Ian's also a gay activist, so, and, you know, and so he's had a long history of championing, uh, championing a, you know, minority group and he kind of could apply a lot of oh a lot of the yes a lot of the resonance of this story applies to well I mean everybody has felt like an outcast at some point or another yeah and he he's he kind of you know he's always been so involved in in in, in that in politics and that kind of thing it was a chance for him to sort of bring bring that to this it's odd as always not to see the twin towers in anything always uh, I, it's interesting, in Usual Suspects, I have a shot of the Twin Towers that I had forgotten about, and uh, I, I had to watch that sequence for some reason. It was it's, it's devastating. I'm from New Jersey, and I've lived several years in New York, and I'm there all the time, and I, I still uh, uh, mystifying. That's a line for the fans. Ah, yes. I, that was my response to a lot of internet complaining about the the lack of spandex multicolored costumes, which we tried. Um, yeah, how was that? Because there was so much while you were shooting the movie, which was what about a six month shoot. There was so much going on on the internet. Did you pay attention to it? Did you? Oh uh, yeah, it? every once in a while, you know, someone would put a stack of internet uh, uh, stuff on my desk or my monitor, and I would try to read. Uh, some of it, and you know, it, it, it affects you in certain ways. You know, little things. It impacts little things. You don't sit there and take other people's ideas. That was another. Uh, that was not CGI. That was another uh, claw, uh, a practical claw. And uh, we have a. This is our smaller X jet. We've got a much more significant X jet for the sequel. That's a good jet. They got there really fast. Yeah. Well, hey, it's Westchester. That's Manhattan. true. They're not far. I would assume the internet chat now in the midst of shooting the second one is probably a little easier on you because yeah, it's for not the most part everyone was very satisfied by the first Yeah, film. we had a good response from the first picture, so uh, it, it's been a little more lenient the first time around. They were pretty tough on me. One day I read on the internet that I was fired. <laughs> like, really? I literally I called the, the vice president of the studio and I said, it's like, Peter, Am I fired? <laughs> and he says, well, 
I don't know, are you? I don't, yeah, I was like, this could have been done a little better. And the old, maybe that was all right. That we wouldn't be doing again that way. Lots not, of fog. Not so happy with the little uh, jet in the water there. Now this right here, oh. this, this is the first time the actors ever, ever wore the suits that on camera. That is true, and they could not climb over that concrete uh, divider. They just couldn't do it. They kept, uh, uh, Hughes ripped his pants. They fell over. You have um, to explain, the suits were very tight. Yes. And the leather needed to stretch out a bit. Yeah. And when the first time they wore them, everyone felt like they were sort of in a body cast. Yeah. And could not hop over that wall without practically falling over. This is... And that claw, if you notice, that got all jammed in. It's really a little difficult because those claws are attached to his hand, and sometimes he could cut his hand. That was a little uh, gag. You know, you slip in your profanity in these, <laughs> these movies in subtle ways. That's uh, I don't know if that's a justifiable transformation. It's not quite a person. It's a statue. I don't know, you know, I don't know if I broke with lore there, but... It's a pleasure. I got to... Uh, some of the choreography and fighting, particularly martial arts, I got to work with Corey Yoon, who's a, a wonderful uh, Hong Kong director in his own right, and, and real fun. Didn't speak a word of English, and he had uh, three uh, translators that would work with him, and one of them is Jonathan, who was short round in oh, Indiana Jones. So oh, he the, was right, and he was in the Goonies also. Yes, and so he would tra and we, I, he would be one of the people who would uh, translate. Uh, yes, and he knew Lauren Schuller Donner from the Goonies because Dick Donner directed right. that. And, and uh, so it was. Uh, that, but working with Corey was great because he was a fellow film director. So we'd whenever we'd have budget issues or scheduling issues, the two of us would uh, always go off and conspire quietly of how we're going to overcome them and try to get as much action as fun as humanly possible in the amount of time that we were were allotted. Now these type of, these action scenes like this, were they very, were they storyboarded uh, in great yeah, detail? Yeah, all storyboarded. Now, you know, you, you add little things. Like I, uh, Ray was doing this little dance as a joke earlier, so I said, why don't you put it in a scene? It'd be kind of fun. You know, little things like that. That's the fun. You, you know, you board these things and you block them out, but then on the day, always adding, always trying to improvise within the context of what you've planned. Now, was he really jumping around like that? Yeah, he's on cables, he's, uh, which are removed. I don't say scene was designed a bit better than this, but we kind of ran out of money. So uh, we had a, her, it was a much better scene, and we shot all the elements of him flipping her over into the elevator, but nobody wanded to pay for, uh, that was a, that was was a Fred Astaire moment. Another dance move. Yeah, well, again, that was my tribute to Darth Maul. <laughs> Literally, that's what it was. I said, like, do a little, one, just one Darth Maul twirl, and, and, uh, This was very difficult, considering we just started uh, trying to perfect the mystique business. Now, her makeup process was how Nine long did it take? Nine hours. Wow. Nine hours. Her, her call would be at 2.30 in the morning, and she wouldn't shoot till 10 or 11. 
and sometimes she'd be so dizzy. Once I brought up, I shared a bottle of wine with her on the set. She she was so uh, just to unwind. Could you even shoot day, two days in a row with her? No. Um, yeah, yeah. You just have you know she'd she'd go home. Her turnaround would be it would be very difficult. And and uh, the stunt woman also during doing the sequence, um, Vicky, she uh, she actually got stabbed with the claws. And she's actually working on X-Men 2, and I saw her yesterday, uh, and she showed me that scar from it, and it's, I keep talking about all these terrible things that happen. <laughs> Fortunately, no one was, you know, it's, it's just very difficult, you know, you're doing a lot of challenging things. And all the she's people a you injured on the stunt movie. person, and I, you know. These are one of the moments you look forward to. You know, you know, you know in the X-Men lore, a lot of these characters fly. Oh, it's a little difficult if everyone was completely flying around like Superman. It would if they have no limitations, uh, so it's, uh, it would be difficult to have them interact with anything or com uh, fight each other. So here's just chances for she's flying somewhere, you know, just little moments that the, the fans. Uh, now, do you want to address this line that's coming up? Yeah, uh, I take, I didn't write it, but I do take full responsibility for it. It's uh, not. Do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? One of my favorite uh, lines in the movie, uh, but uh, I was on a train and uh, going to speak to a class in New York and some kid had recognized me and said, yeah, I love the movie, but there was a stupid line in it. And then I get to the class and I was telling the story of the train, but I didn't tell them what the line is. And then a kid raises his hand and, and, uh, and I say, yes. And he goes, I just have one question. What does happen to a toad when it gets hit by lightning? It croaks. <laughs> oh. That's your line right there. Oh, where were you then? It croaks. Not. See? This is, uh, I just like the fact that we go from the little foot to the big foot. <laughs> That's my favorite part about this. Was that conscious? Yeah, yeah, we put, yeah, I put the little, the little model of the foot and then it dollies over to the larger foot. And then here was the slow, the, you know, thing. Like, what are the claws when Mystique is becoming Wolverine? And it's hard when she transforms into something that's such a different shape because the hair, everything has to change a lot. Uh, we're dealing with a bit of that on the sequel. And uh, she's covering her breast because the makeup was falling apart oh. then, and it was it was just not looking too too good. So we just put her hand up there. Prove it. You're a dick. I think that was the biggest laugh. <laughs> that was the, the big movie. laugh. That was the big laugh. That was good. <laughs> well, people I, for, people really seem to love the antagonism between Cyclops and Wolverine. They really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a little uh, it also shows that straight laced guy and that rough, you know, loner rogue character. Not to be confused with rogue. Now, this set, the inside of the Statue well, of Liberty, had it's it's it's. It's accurate to the real one, but it's larger, it's right? It's larger, yes. The actual inside of the head of the Statue of Liberty is very small. We scouted it in one evening, went up to the actual Statue of Liberty and toured the whole place. We also got an amazing tour of Ellis Island, uh, 33 of the unrestored buildings we got to see. But the actual inside of the head of the Statue of Liberty is, is smaller, and, and there's lights inside of it that even take up more room so that the crown lights up at night. So we had to build it a little bit bigger. It's, a, it's, it's amazing because it, it feels so New York and Ellis Island and all of these locales, and yet none of it was shot there. Yeah, all in uh, 
in Toronto. However, the premiere of the movie... The premiere of the movie was held actually on Ellis Island with uh, boats to take the audience out. Uh, the Great Hall was converted into a giant movie theater. And um, we had a blimp, an X-Men blimp, and we had fireworks over the Statue of Liberty. It's quite amazing. Recently, I saw George Bush uh, gave a speech on Ellis Island in standing in this exact spot, and it looked exactly like this, wow. the photo on uh, AOL News. Uh, and it was very bizarre to see with the Statue of Liberty right over his shoulder. And uh, it really looks like that in person. Uh, I didn't, I thought it, I, I was concerned it didn't look like that until I actually went there for the premiere at night and got a good look at it. No, I thought that at the premiere, getting to see it. It was the first time I'd ever been on Ellis Island. Oh, really? Yeah, and, and so I had seen Ellis Island in the movie, and the fact that you didn't actually shoot it there and then seen it in person, it was actually amazing how accurate it was. This was the first thing we shot. We shot two days, um, the gathering of world leaders. We had about a thousand people on the set uh, at, at one time. And with the crew. Now what is that building? That's an actual school. That's the back of a school that we've dressed up. Because Unfortunately, again, the, um, the fireworks look so kind of phony because it's hard to do. Real fireworks have a lot of smoke involved and you're illuminating the smoke from the blasts and we couldn't do that and again, you know, budget issues with every single thing we did and and we ended up with the what we had. So full of shit. Now, how many days were these actors immobilized uh, and strapped? A few days. Along? Yeah. Yeah. Very uncomfortable. Uh, in their odd positions, especially Hugh, because he has to have a harness holding him up. And this is one of the early things we shot of Magneto flying. Of, uh, Ian on a harness. He actually was very good. He was very good at the landing. I've, I've actually flown in one of these harnesses and sometimes it's hard to land because you're used to, your body gets used to flying. And it looks very graceful on film, but in reality it's just putting, it's like basically putting on a jock strap and someone yanks you up. Yeah, it's, it's, it gets a little uncomfortable. It's like having, well, it's like having a wedgie really it's like, bad. Well, it's a little like skydiving. I've, you, know, you know, if you've ever, I've, I've done some skydiving and you, you, you know, when I, you pull that chute, it's like, and these actors spend all day in them. There was something about Ian McKellen doing it. I visited the set that day and just seeing such a distinguished Shakespearean actor as Ian McKellen <laughs> well, he would, hanging from wires from uh, the scene. It just seemed he to... would say to me, I would, he would, uh, I would say, I need the line thrown out. More like you would say every day, you know, just casual, just throw it out. And he'd be like, like an everyday person, you just say it. And he'd be hanging there from cables with this cape and his In front of a green screen. And he'd be like, every day, yes, of course. Right, Brian, right. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so these comps, uh, composites lo looked. Uh, there's fireworks. I'm not so happy with, but the the actual uh, um, comps of New York City in the background looked, uh, were, were pretty successful. You got a sense that they were really on top of this thing. And this uh, also, this is one of the largest green screen stages ever built because the head, the the top of the head, which is what the part that we built, was so big that we had to, you know, put green screen all the way around. So it ended up being, I visited the set of Phantom Menace when they were shooting in Leavesden, and we actually had larger green screen stages than them because we had to fit this big head in. George Lucas is going to have green screen envy now. <laughs> there was a line in the scene you cut out that I liked, but I just slowed down the fight. Oh, yeah, it did. Uh, what was the line? Something about... Uh... Sabretooth says, I think he grabs his wrist and says, without these metal, without these without these metal, claws, what do you have? Metal skull. And then he headbutts him. And he headbutts him, yeah, and you gunk. 
Yeah. It's to sort of stop the fight in the middle, though. Yeah, so they it didn't quite conversation. cut, but it was. Uh, there's a lot of beats like now, that. Now, coming up here, speaking moments. of harnesses, this is when Hugh raunched his nuts. Uh, he almost, uh, yeah, we thought he, uh, we thought he really seriously pulled his groin muscle, and that would have been a disaster for, on a lot of fronts, particularly his own personal front, but also for shooting. <laughs> his um, personal front, literally. <laughs> but he turned out to be okay. He also had an incident where he was lunging, flying with the claws, and he went right into the camera. Uh, and uh, to the camera guy, and and he had the, uh, the next day he could barely put them on and go near near uh, Anna to cut the chains off or to cut the binds off her, which is he does at the end of the film. He was so um, troubled by uh, the near miss. Well, that's for anyone that thinks actors are sissies. <laughs> now Hugh does um, oh many many of his own uh, stunts. Uh, we. We, uh, the actors at large, you know, uh, Ray Park was able to do a lot of his own, uh, and and a lot of the other actors. It was kind of nice. One of only two brief moments where you see Jimmy's eyeballs, but of course they're flaming red. And he gets thrown back into his boat. This was no. a little pickup. We actually shot this in Los Angeles. We actually rebuilt the head in Los Angeles just to get this because it was a bit, uh, it just didn't quite work when, when I shot it, uh, a version of it in um, Toronto. So we came back for a day of pickups. But we had very few pickups, relatively, on my films. We try to get away with as few uh, pickups as possible, and having a release date that's right around the corner sort of forces you to do that. Now, with a movie that has as many visual effects as this, and your previous films were not visual effect This is movies. Hugh, by the way, being winched upside, winched upside down on a cable very high, and by the time, by his sixth take, his, uh, and hanging upside down here, very high up, and then by his sixth take, his, the blood vessels in his eyes were, oh. like, exploding. Now, do you, saying? I was going to say, with a movie with this many visual effects, when you previously haven't worked with visual effects like this, how knowledgeable do you yourself have to become about how it all works? You you become knowledgeable very quickly. It's yeah. like it's like learning after you make your first film. You understand how things work. Uh, one from your you know my experience and the research I'd done. I visited the set of Phantom Menace. I've talked to George Lucas at length about this. These things. I, I, I went and visited Titanic when they were shooting in Rosarita and watched all the visual effects of Titanic at Digital Domain before they even. Uh, there's Rogue's hair. Uh, turning white, <laughs> which we there was a funny line in the sequel about that, and uh, and and basically saturated myself in uh, uh, with as much visual effects knowledge as I could, and then when once you're shooting though you get the hang of it real quick. Oh, I try to always cut to people who may not be familiar characters to just give a sense of um, an outward participation uh, beyond the main characters, and even someone you don't recognize adds a nice. Uh, you know, audience perspective. Now, this guy getting zapped here is not Ian McKellen. Uh, no, that is not. Ian was in, was doing Lord of the Rings. Yeah, at he that was point. already gone at that point. I kind of tried to jig his schedule so, uh, uh, as a, because P, uh, for Peter, because he, he um, needed him at a certain time. So, uh, for Lord of the Rings, so Peter wrote me a thank you note and sent me this wonderful faux documentary he did called Forgotten Silver. If you haven't seen it, Peter Jackson did it's it's, uh, it's awesome. And, uh, 
Yeah, just cutting those uh, clasps um, really made him nervous that day because he had had the accident with the claws the day before, and he was very nervous about even getting within inches, you know, within feet of of uh, uh, Anna. Part of the sequence earlier when Hugh was up there on that platform, I remember he every time he kept squatting in his costume. The oh, it's completely ripped. It kept ripping. Well, we just get, we got over. It. See if you'll notice, it's all ripped around the arms. Um, that we we just gave up. You know, for him to be able to do any of those fight scenes, we needed to rip open the arms and we needed to uh, rip. And the crotch was almost continually in a state of being torn. And this we were shooting this, even though we're, it's all backdrop, we we're still shooting this stuff really high up, the cranes. Now you mentioned your director of photography earlier, Tom Siegel. Mm -hmm. You've worked with him on all yes, of your films? Yes, he's done all my films and uh, uh, he... he uh, That's got to be a great help. Oh, it's wonderful. We have a... Uh, we, we, we know each other so well that, you know, very little is said between us and... Uh, and we, we, you know, he knows what I want. I can put up my fingers in little different patterns, and he knows what I mean, what kind of shots I'm asking for. And I think the work on the sequel, the X-Men sequel, it's, it's very elegant. It's a darker movie, uh, but, uh, but, but I think it's the best work we've ever done together. And he's done some other, he, he, uh, not just films with myself, he also shot Three Kings, which was a, he did a tremendous, innovative job with that. And um, there's a little cameo. This is David Hayter. Uh, screenwriter and uh, indicating that Mystique still lives. Now, unlike Tom, you did not, I know you usually work with the editor, John Ottman. Yeah, John unfortunately wasn't available uh, to do the score or cut this picture, but he is available. He, and he is, he is, because uh, he was directing a movie. Uh, uh, urban legend too, but he's come back to um, to do the to to cut and score uh, X Men too. So I'm real happy. You know, we have a lot of fun together, and uh, it's well, it's, you have a relationship with him. As yeah, well. now, be, it's a much more pleasurable experience. The the, the one semi consistent complaint I ever heard about the movie, which is in some ways a backhanded compliment, was that the movie was just too short. There were people who thought the movie was too yeah, short. Well, and it, better to leave them wanting more than bored, but Yeah, how do you I mean feel it just that? you know, it's how things fall to place. It's the you know, the script you finally end up with and what you shoot and and you know, you, it is it it this was this was almost like a I, I, I kind of refer to this movie as a trailer for X Men two. It's kind of like a a, a, a prologue for for the future of the saga. Um, so yeah, no, I would have been nice to have it a little longer but it, it would have also felt longer and mm -hmm. this was a you know this length felt felt right I, I think I editorially I I, I, I am having a much uh, better experience uh, with the sequel and more time less pressure and I'm working with the people I want to work with so uh, this is uh, this is again avoiding romance <laughs> now, watching the movie, the first film, with a few years' perspective, is there? What what do you what really pleases you about it, or what doesn't please you about it? Some of the surprises please me. Please me. The things uh, things you don't expect to happen. You know, tw twists and turns that kind of are unexpected. Um, I like the idea that it sets up. You know, it sets up for what we. You know, what 
we're doing with the sequel. Um, and uh, things I don't, you know, I, there are, you know, issues of, uh, you know, certain things I, I you know, you, you don't get into those. It's a long story, but things, uh, well, editorial things that I would have done differently had I had more time. Yes, Mystique, Mystique lives. <laughs> Mystique lives. It's a little on the money. But, uh, <laughs> it was nice of her to flash her yellow eyes yeah. there for you. Yeah, thank you. Well, they keep going a little. It's not entirely... Uh, um, here's the uh, Wolverine trying to sneak out. I think ultimately Royal Roads will play a good double for Castle Loma and the sets we've built for the sequel. Royal Roses. Now she has her hair. Notice she had, it was such a beautiful shot of her, even though her hair was in her mouth and it's gone there. And but I, I felt compelled to use the, to use the close up because it was just you know even though continuity, <laughs> there's. Now this time around her hair uh, that was an extension that was added, but in this in the sequel her hair, we actually dye her actual hair so she doesn't have to worry about it. And then we have stand-ins. <laughs> For her with the hair like that, so her stand-in has to go around Vancouver. Oh, her hair. And you should see Wolverine stand-in on this on this movie has to walk around Vancouver with the. Well, that's also a difference too. Is chops. again, Hugh was cast so late mm. that initially his well, initially his, there was fake. chops were fake. Yeah. yeah, and then eventually he grew into them. So there's some scenes where they're fake. I you know you can see I I, I can see them. I don't know if. Uh, you could, and then this she shot in Los Angeles at uh, Greystone. At Greystone Mansion, yeah. And then uh, I wanted to, you know, I don't make it a habit of pilfering many props, but uh, this sign, Xavier School for the Gifted, I had a master plan so that at the moment I was done filming, I had my assistant <laughs> run up and take it and throw it in the trunk of my car. So I, I think heard I've about got that, that that day because there were a few other people on the crew who had their eye on it as I well. I know they did. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to have to trade me something for it. Now here, Patrick and Ian. The only other, oh, they, this is a great. This is funny. You know what's funny about this? Neither of these men, Patrick Stewart or Sir Ian McKellen, know how to play chess. <laughs> they have no idea how to play chess. So we had to bring in a chess expert who had no idea why he was being called to this movie set. And suddenly, here, this chess expert in Toronto, is on the set with Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, teaching them how to do uh, chess moves. So what he taught them was uh, something called a pawn assault. Because Xavier's so smart, you know, psychically, that he basically checkmates him with his pawns. And you can you know, see a little bit of it in the picture here, but... And this also is a, a kind of prelude to things to come. Now, do you want to mention briefly one person that no one would think of that came in and met with you about playing Charles Xavier? No. <laughs> I don't. You <laughs> will leave it at that. <laughs> I, I'll file that in unlikely options. But interesting. It was an interesting choice. Very interesting. And he interesting was, idea would have been a different and film. He was, he was very interested in playing the role. No, and I and I, I actually admired that interest, and it just I think Patrick was ultimately the right way. To go. Well, Patrick, I mean, everyone's very well cast, but Patrick seems like the one who is 
born to play this role. You just yeah, that die. was always the case. And uh, Lauren introduced him to me on the set of uh, Conspiracy Theory, her husband's film, and he had a big scar on his face. And it was my first uh, meeting with him, and uh, and now we're great friends. There you go. Hey, who's that? I don't know. So, you're five months into shooting yes, X-Men 2. You've about a month to go. About a month to go. So we're what gonna... can everyone look forward to without giving too much away in X-Men 2? Uh, well, I think it's, it'll uh, take uh, uh, continue from where this one left off. I think that um, it'll be a much bigger film, a uh, darker film, an edgier film. And uh, you sort of likened it to Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, as well, for, to Star you know, Wars. I, I'm not, you know, uh, you know, I'm never fond of like movie comparisons. But yeah, it would be if you had to make a comparison, and even in structure, the X-Men kind of become shattered and uh, reunited, and uh, in this case, enemies become unlikely allies, kind of, and and it, it gets into the history of uh, certain characters. There's a villain who's played a role in. Uh, uh, number of their pasts. Uh, Wolverine. We get to explore some of his history and his quest to find uh, you know, his, his sort of who he was. Um, and then there's the worst kind of villain in the in the you know, in the X Men universe. There's you know a human villain, and and that's finally we we see the human face. Um, so it's no longer mutants. Uh, X-Men versus the Brotherhood, there's, there's a uh, third third element. Uh, what he says in the last picture, the war is, you know, the war is coming. How are you enjoying, having never done a sequel before, do you like revisiting the world and expanding on it, or? Do you, are you hearing that siren? We're in my apartment, in, you are? Yeah. yeah. We're in my apartment up here in Vancouver, and uh, we, it's pretty high up, but there's, <laughs> there's definitely some, something going on outside. Uh, do a, what was uh, you, your question? Do, I'm sorry, the siren. Having not done a sequel before, are you enjoying revisiting I, it? I is am, it? yeah, very much so. Uh, it, it, what's nice about it is you, you, just when you get started working with a cast and and some certain crew members who uh, I've returned with, it's over. Even even in a four and a half month shoot like the last X Men, it's still over. And here. You know, here we here we get a chance to do not just do it again, but uh, do it. I don't want to say do it right, but do it better. And now everyone knows what they're doing, and we're all friends. And and like the usual suspects, it's a it's a it's a fun group. It's uh, you well, know, yeah. They, it's a, it sounds like you're full of BS to say this, but it's a large ensemble cast, and it's a remarkably nice group of people. Oh, they're all there's terrific. There's no well, egos, there's no, it's they, such a great group of people. They, they, I've, I've had a really unique history of being able to work with actors who take the work more seriously than they take themselves. Right. And in, in, in this case, it's, it's, you know, even after some of them have gone on to uh, uh, some serious stardom, they, 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 they couldn't be happier to be there and we're having a really terrific time and, and, uh, well, and, and even on this film, you have some actors that even just in three years are coming back, vastly more famous or oh at yeah, a different Halle level Berry. Now we have two Oscar film. winners right. and uh, uh, Ian McKellen with uh, success of Lord of the Rings and uh, Hugh Jackman, and and then some new people, Alan Cumming, who's terrific as a Nightcrawler, and uh, and um, uh, Aaron Stanford from Tadpole is playing. 
Brian Pyro Cox. and Brian Cox, who I've admired for years, uh, and I, I've uh, finally uh, get to work with him. And um, who else? And then some surprise characters. And Kelly Hugh is awesome. So, uh, it's a whole lot of people to make these movies. Yeah, I, I, yeah. We the credits are so long. I don't know if we can come up with enough things to say. I was one of I'm, I don't know about you. I'm one of those people that ever since I was very young, I always sit through all the credits. Yeah. Even before I worked in the film industry, I for some reason I just felt like I had some. It yeah, was but when you were not of, when you were younger, there was less that's credits. That's true. The now there's like I think we have nine minutes of credits. Oh, oh thanks. Jerry Seinfeld. I'm so old. We went. We all went and saw Jerry Seinfeld. Came here to Vancouver. Well, we uh, we. Uh, j j j uh, we all, the whole cast, we, uh, uh, we all went and saw Jerry Seinfeld, uh, and he does this whole riff. And I, I sometimes wonder if he did it for our benefit because we were there in the audience, but on the absurdity of movie credits. And he says, you know, most of the times they shouldn't be called credits, they should be called blames. <laughs> movie blames. Movie blames. Yeah, like someone sitting in the audience at the end and says, show me the names. <laughs> uh, but I, I love, you know, it, it's, it's a. Uh, it's quite an army of people, and it's quite a collaboration. Unlike any other art form, uh, filmmaking is truly, truly a collaborative art form. And these credits sure show that. <laughs> and all the effects companies, it's, there was a time yeah, we when used you about sort of eight different. Yeah, we used about eight different effects companies uh, on this picture. They were just it, given different... Sequences or different? Not different sequences, different effects. For instance, claws, uh, right. uh, mystique transformation, um, eyes, uh, toad's tongue. You know, and has it? And there's so many people and uh, that are involved. And I try to go go down when I get back to L.A. and try to visit some of them. And you can't meet all the people who are doing your effects and all the artists and renderers and animators. And you and, and it's it's an extraordinary. Uh, uh, effort, and I, I look forward to getting back to LA on the sequel because we have on the sequel we have about three or four times the amount of visual effect shots. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff going on right now. We're, right now, even though we're shooting here in Vancouver, we've got people building huge models and things like that, and not just in the computers but in real life down in Van Nuys and uh, How do you all like over the Los post, Angeles. The post-production process as compared to the actual shooting process. Uh, well, when you're under that kind of time constraint, as we were with the first X-Men, it is not pleasant. That's true. That's one thing we didn't mention, was that it was originally a holiday release. Well, that was, yeah. We were in rehearsals, uh, doing uh, stunt rehearsals, and I get this call from Tom Rothman, who's president of the studio at the time, and he, he said, congratulations, you have the summer. And I'm like, great, we have an extra six months. And he goes, no, this summer. And I said, oh, my God, can that be done? And he said, well, we think so. And, I, and from that day forward, it was, oh, it was a nightmare. We're still on a tight schedule now. We, we, with the May 2nd release, we still have scheduling restrictions, and I still am concerned about things, but ultimately... Um, it's very it's, tight. It's, it only, I think it only feels luxurious as compared to the first one. Yeah, exactly, it's exactly. it's still a very tight schedule. It, it, it's it's not, by no means... Uh, a dramatically different situation. Well, no, picture. when you mentioned there was a few additional shots and stuff done in Los Angeles, like inside the Statue of Liberty head and like the beach sequence, those were being shot in late May, 
Yeah. And the film opened July. Yeah, and then we just slapped onto the negative, yeah. July, second week of July. Yeah, we're going to be, you know, I, I, it's going to be like the last time. 14th. It, it's going to be like the last time we're, we're going to be, uh, I'm sure, uh, last time it was a week before delivery of the final print, and I still owed over 50 visual effects shots. Wow. And here, I think we're going to be in a similar situation, which would be frustrating, and plus we release day and date around the world. So that means that prints have to come, the, the final version has to come in early so that it can be dubbed in almost 30 languages. Oh, so X-Men 2 is opening all around the world the same At the date. same day, May wow. 2nd. Or like within a day, May, you know, within the first of the third. And that's uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby, the men who started it all. Made it all possible. Well. Thank you. Brian, I really appreciate you being here. I really do. I um, uh, you made this uh, <laughs> doable for me. I appreciate you asking me to do it. It was a blast. Well, like everyone else, I look forward to X Men Two. Yes, I do as well. <laughs> it being done. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Rob. We got to do the deleted scenes, though.